Hello, friends. Our guest today is an incredibly talented young man, a musician, and one of the smartest people I've ever met. We work together here and there throughout town, and I always have the coolest conversations with him. Even when I think I have traveled to an unknown path, he is great at shining a light on something I never even considered. He also has one of the coolest names in the world. Check it out. Here is my friend, Dallas Sterling breed all right so yeah just make sure you're within a few inches you can you can bring it around if you want to it'll move you know how these things work more or less i've been around microphones before you hold it like down down at your belt right i was dealing with that the other day (laughs) yeah but you know what even though I've been doing it for so long, I think I did the same thing at uh, my buddy's wedding. There's, oh. there's something about when you get In the nervous, <laughs> even though I knew what I was supposed to do. And dude, that that best man speech was a train wreck. I hope I oh, never see it. I've done, I did a really bad one once. <laughs> do you, nobody should have to do that ever. I, yeah, no. I mean, I, I thought that like, I would do a really good improvised speech and, it, and I didn't. <laughs> so you didn't have bad. any notes or anything? No, I was like, I used to speak a lot at like NA meetings and I would, I would just kind of like talk and I, I felt comfortable with it. And I thought, yeah, I'd be the same way. And it was totally not. I got up there and struggled to put words together and everyone was like, he means well. <laughs> <laughs> He's a real special guy. <laughs> he likes that. He likes his friend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Cause like you can feel it as it gets awkward. It just makes it more and more awkward. And then you're like, oh God, everybody's looking at me. What do I do now? Yeah. You, there's no way to save yourself. You're done, dude. Yeah. It's like, I was reading something about that. Uh, other primates also choke. <laughs> really? Yeah. It's like a. It's a primate trait that like when the pressure is really high, most, most people and, or most, most primates just crumble, huh. which you would, you would think that uh, with all the other adaptations that that would be one that maybe it's just that most people and most primates don't really, really, really get in that many situations where, you know, where they're in like in serious trouble and they have to figure it out in the moment and. Yeah, I mean, that's not a normal thing to stand in front of it. Unless you're like the leader and you're like rallying everybody, there's no reason to stand in front of people and talk. Yeah. It's kind of a weird thing. Yeah. Well, and I think a lot of leaders have probably antisocial traits that allow them to get up there and and sort of just be consciously manipulative. And they're very sure of themselves, which is part of how they get there. And then most other people see themselves that way. And when they get up there, they're just like, <laughs> it's like being up on the high dive or something. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's such a weird thing. And when you hear about people who, I'm drawing a blank on who the actual actor is, but there is some actor, I'm sure there's a bunch of actors that have insane stage fright. They're like mm. Broadway actors and somehow they have to find a way to go do the show every night. Why would you choose that as a career if it was that intense, man? I mean, that's a good question. I think, like, you know, a lot of people want to be appreciated. 
you know, so they do stuff that, that will get them adoration or, mm-hmm. or whatever. And then when they, I mean, I'm, I've been that way a little bit with music, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I'm not terribly comfortable on stage, but I've done it a bunch. And, yeah. Uh, I think if I was more comfortable, it would probably be something I would focus more on. But, you know, I tend to sort of like probably have a few beers to, to cope with it. And it's yeah. like, I'm like, eh, I don't know if that's a great, like, if I was going to do that as my job and I had to drink to do my job, you know, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> sweet. Eh, yeah, that might not be a good, I think I've seen that uh, biopic before. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it's definitely for some people. Like, I, I think of Steven Tyler, and Steven Tyler's got to love it, man. Mm-hmm. Just dreaming all day long about when he gets to go on stage again. <laughs> but Does, Do they still play? <laughs> I don't know if they tour anymore. He's getting old, yeah, dude. Yeah, I just see pictures of him on Hawaii or on Maui or whatever. And uh-huh. It's usually stuff that's like Steven Tyler looks like. The, your friend's cool mom that would let you drink or something. He wears so much jewelry. <laughs> yeah. He looks like a little old lady. Yeah. Yeah, I started listening to a lot of Aerosmith recently. And, uh, I mean, I heard all that stuff when I was a kid. But that's what's crazy about growing up and having your ears change and having life experiences. Like, you can listen to the same song that you listened to when you were 10 but it has a completely different meaning. And I've been doing that with Aerosmith lately yeah. where I go back and listen to some of their hits and I'm just like, this song is incredible. Oh yeah, yeah. You know? I, well, you know, I've been, I did that a little bit recently with, but it was like with Vanilla Ice. <laughs> and I was like, it works the same. Yeah, I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> I mean, not really. It was, in some ways it was better than I remembered. You know, that like there was a little bit more Believe it or not, depth to it, yeah, in terms of variety. But it it wasn't like <laughs> I haven't picked it back up, you know. Yeah. Well, you, you know Matt Helms, right? I don't think so. No. Okay. Uh, him and I have talked about. I told him how I wanted to do episodes of this, mm-hmm. where I just went through songs that you're not supposed to like, that like you'd be embarrassed to tell people that you listen to, mm-hmm. but then listen to them. And like dissect them as they go and just explain why you think it's really good. Because mm. there's like, the, another example that pops in my head is this Mariah Carey song. Uh, and I forget what it's called. But um, that's not a song I'm supposed to tell you that I like. Right. right. You know what I mean? <laughs> or like Hootie and the Blowfish or something. Like, right, yeah. Or Vanilla Ice. Yeah, yeah. But if you like really sit down and critically dissect it and be honest with yourself... Mm-hmm. I mean, think how many songs people are listening to in their basement. They're, they're like, God, I hope nobody knows I like this, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think that's like most of the stuff I listen to, honestly, but it's just not <laughs> as popular. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like music is really weird that way, though, because it's it's not it's not like – I mean, some people will try and say that there is – like, this is bad, you know, in terms of hey, this type, this type of music sucks or something like that, and I, I just I don't see it so black and white myself. You know, I mean, there's there's I think at least in terms of genres, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, I, I've heard what I think can be described as good or bad examples of of type or of genres of music that I'm not that particularly into, but the ones that are good, it's still it's like really kind of interesting to just hear 
you can tell when someone's put a lot of time into it mm -hmm. and to not really fully understand where they're coming from with it is almost like travel. You know, it's, it's like you just, you can tell that it means a lot to them yeah. and that it's important. Yeah. But you're like, how did you, you know, how does this, you know, and you, I think it's just cause you know, if you're from someplace, um, you're more likely to, like if you're from Eastern Europe, per, perhaps, you know, like maybe you've heard polkas when your grandparents were doing something. And so you've got this like soft spot in your heart for some polka artist and yeah, everybody else is like, okay. Well, that's interesting though. Cause why, why is American music so popular? Why aren't there other countries that have figured it out? Cause it, with a few exceptions, most of it comes from the United States. And I don't, I don't, I mean, there's a couple bands that would come out of Australia. There's obviously some, some acts from the UK, but like, there's nobody really famous from Portugal or from Italy. You know what I mean? Or from Africa. Yeah. It's well, usually from the United States. Well, I think, I mean, it's not that there aren't plenty of really good musicians elsewhere. I think a lot of it comes just from the fact that the, the United States sort of speaks I think sp sort of spearheaded a lot of the 20th century uh, industrialization of art. Mm -hmm. You know, like we were doing the movie studios and we had the big recording companies and all the record studios and all that stuff. And I think that, you know, everybody else was just still, they had so much tradition that, you know, all this, all this American stuff, or maybe it's like, gosh, I don't know. I mean, I'm not totally sure exactly why, but I mean, I think a lot of it just had to do with the fact that America was sort of this new concept and we were down to to just really get involved with it. And mm -hmm. everybody else had these ideas of what music was supposed to be, at least the older. I don't know. Yeah, I don't really know either. I, I want to say it has something to do with money. Yeah. Because, <laughs> right? You know what I mean? Like, there are so many situations that wouldn't have worked out if there weren't people like I think of Taylor Swift and Taylor Swift is extremely talented writes most of her own songs mm -hmm. she but she has like a team of people that work with her her parents were already rich and then she's got this force behind her because they know <clears throat> they can make money off of her now and so there's so many people that have a hand in that pot and a vested interest in making sure she's famous and successful. Yeah. And so I don't know, maybe that just doesn't happen in other countries. Well, I mean, it's it's hard to believe that it doesn't. Um, I'm not totally sure. It might have just been first to market kind of stuff, you know, in terms of, of like, you know, the American sound or, or, or the, this new rock and roll or whatever, like hip hop. There's been more origination of, of new music, I think. In America is a lot, a lot of it. I mean, mm -hmm. but why? Probably because I mean, if you look at it from that point of view, I think a lot of it was because we had a recent mashup. You know, there were a bunch of people coming from different places coming together, and yeah, you know, like that's that's happened in Europe, but not quite on that scale. Yeah, I mean, you know, everybody was leaving Europe, and when they were, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, maybe there's some sort of risk-taking factor because all the people that came from Europe in the early mm -hmm. uh, 1900s, those people just 
said, fuck it, and got on a boat with nothing. Yeah. And what is that, like a six-week trip on a boat? Uh, yeah, probably at least. <laughs> yeah. And then you get to Ellis Island, and then they write your name down wrong. Yeah. And then you got to go, like, find a job and stuff. And you're like, that's my name now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I've thought about that. I mean, I think that there's, you know, I've had, I've talked about this with people who, you know, some people are very, very certain that it's that this idea is false, and other people are like, no, that that definitely makes a lot of sense. But I mean, if you have a whole, if you've got a subpopulation that says we are going to take risks, we're going to go to this new place where we can do whatever it is that their their plan was to do in America, those people were freaking putting it on the line. Mm-hmm. There was no guarantee. And I, I can't, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how genetics works well enough to be certain that something like that actually passes on. But even if it's not genetic, like it's cultural, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, you've, you've got a lot of people who are just like waiting for their big break. I don't know if that's the way it is in other countries, but I mean, I've known, I've felt that way before and hmm. I kind of don't feel that way anymore. I think I've gotten old enough that I'm like, I don't want a big break at this point. <laughs> yeah. Know? Well, yeah, forever. Like that's what I thought I wanted. I wanted yeah. to be in a band and get famous. Yeah. That and was my plan. Yeah. That was your plan too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's harder than you think. And all, um, that, all that stuff of follow your dreams and you can do it. That's bad advice. <laughs> you cannot do it. No. There's very few people that can do it. And it takes a, a thousand things coming together at once. But that's like, I think that's what every, like most kids chase. Like everybody wants to be a mm. YouTube star now. Mm. You know, you ask a kid, uh, I've talked about this before. You ask a kid um, 50 years ago what they want to be. And they're mm. like, oh, I want to work for NASA or I want to be a firefighter, you know? <laughs> An engineer, yeah. Yeah. And now everybody's like, I want to be a TikTok star. So there's like, there's some sort of importance placed on being famous, mm. which is so weird. But I I think that's mainly like an American thing. I, I don't, you know, I don't see that sort of thing. Well, the, I mean, the honest truth is, is I'm not that plugged into other cultures. I mean, I'm interested in other cultures, but I, I've the last time I was in Europe was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. So I don't really know what it's like to be on the ground right now. But it does seem like an American thing. And I think that we've we've got a culture that really chases after novelty, you know. Um, I mean, there's good and then there's new. And, and they're not necessarily worth the same. Uh, new means excitement new means oh this is exclusive and and goes kind of what you said about money i when i was you know getting into music i thought tradition was part of it in a way you know like wow this is something that people have been doing for a long time i'm going to learn what they were doing and i'm going to do it and people are going to hear my take on it and Mm -hmm. after a number of years i finally kind of got to where i felt i had I mean, I was mainly playing blues guitar at the time, um, and uh, I kind of got to a place where I thought, "Man, I've I've really gotten to where I can express what I've been hearing." And and then I realized that a lot had changed. First of all, I didn't live in Little Rock, Arkansas anymore, Mm -hmm. Uh, and also nobody listens to that kind of music anymore. Yeah, right. (laughs) You know, like when what's the most what's the most famous uh, guitar player on on earth right now? Right now? Yeah. Who wasn't famous 20 years ago? Uh, first thing I thought was John Mayer, but I don't think people... That, that might be true. 
Or maybe... But, um, but he got famous 20 years ago. Yeah, I was just thinking also um, Jack pro- White. Jack White. Again, 2005. So maybe that's so not quite 20 say, years You're saying ago. somebody in the last 10 years? I don't know. 10 years, I, yeah. I don't know enough about current music. Yeah. I mean, it's just people aren't into... It's not... It doesn't... I don't think people really want to see people getting together and playing music. They want... I, I, and, and to be fair, I'm not really criticizing because I've I've taken uh, some time to try and learn more about uh, more modern music because I was stuck in a, a really you know tunnel vision view of, of what I was interested in. And honestly, I think groups, well, not even groups, but like people like Bass Nectar, for instance, comparable to classical composers. You know, I mean, what they're doing is some of the most free and creative hmm. music that I've heard ever. I mean, it's hmm. it's complex. It's It's got a lot of pieces. It's got a lot of stuff that would be difficult for musicians to even pull off. And the, and the sound quality is really amazing. That's cool, but that's not always necessary to become famous or write a song that people appreciate. So that's cool that it's complex and yeah. you can appreciate on that level. Yeah. But is it just one guy? I think... Bass Nectar is just one guy. I think a lot, a, a lot of that, the EDM stuff seems to be just a person who's taking the time and composing out these pieces. Yeah. And then you got to choose what sort of sounds you want the sequencer to, to yeah. activate. I mean, I guess there's probably a different, bunch of different ways of doing it. But. but he also has to produce it in a way that it's appealing to a, a mass yeah. amount of people. Yeah, it's got to have a lot of bass. It's got to. It's got to be. <laughs> is it, that important? <laughs> I think so. I think so. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, with. So I think that's one of the big things that separates older American music from modern American music is you there used to be more power I think in harmony and and melody and now w- most of the really popular stuff I hear is very viscerally um engaging mm-hmm. because of the low end you know mm-hmm. it, it actually grabs a hold of you and and like physically imparts energy into you rather than hearing some sort of melodic turn or some sort of really interesting harmony resolve because there's not hardly there's very few chords in and modern music it's not very chordal mm-hmm. um, but it is in, incredibly visceral I mean subs you can feel subs you, know? you can and that's really cool because we get to experience a a type of music that no one had ever, like you said, felt before. Like yeah. feeling that sound through a speaker has only been possible since like the seventies, maybe. I mean, you'd have to be listening to some really expensive speakers in the seventies yeah. too. You know? Yeah. I mean, although like, uh, <laughs> I think maybe the eighteen twelve overture might be the the exception. It's like. You know, I like to call it the world's first banger because, you know, it's the one with the cannons. Yeah, and it's right. like people heard that and felt that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I don't know what they really thought about it, but mm-hmm. it had to have been impactful. I mean. Oh, yeah. They were doing that down on the Portland waterfront um, after there had been some violence downtown and everybody was all sh- shaken up and kind of pissed that the 
opera was shooting cannons off. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, I guess so. It's kind of an important part of the piece though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's no Dude, point in doing it without do you, the cannons. How do you get a job being the cannon guy? The, the symphonic howitzer <laughs> technician. Well, and you got to, what's the fuse? Like 30 seconds? Oh God, I don't know how they do I would hope that it's electronic. Yeah, it would have to Back be. in the day, no, that would have been real. Well, they probably did physically, they probably pulled, they had probably a mechanical triggering system back in the the early days. That's wild, man. I can't imagine that somebody actually timed out fuses. Like, <laughs> <laughs> if they did, their, their talents were wasted, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I heard something once where they said, uh, because there's no recordings of that, mm-hmm. You know, you'll never hear the way that somebody in that time heard it. Yeah. And even though you can read sheet music and reproduce what Beethoven wrote, is Beethoven, right? Uh, the 1812 Overture, I can't remember who, who wrote that, actually. I don't know. I think it was Tchaikovsky. Was it? Okay. I think Sorry, so. my laptop died. Um, <laughs> uh, no one will ever hear it the way that... They wrote it, mm-hmm. and it could be completely different than what we think it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can read sheet music and reproduce it, but it's not quite the same thing. Same I, thing with, like, Shakespeare plays. Yeah, and I've, I've heard some interesting uh, recreations of the the dialect and the accent of that time. It's not, it's not what you'd – it sounds more, much more like a Germanic language. It doesn't mm-hmm. sound quite even – like you would imagine stuffy old English to, to sound, you know, you're just like struggling to understand it as a, a modern English speaker. But it's funny you mentioned Beethoven because there was some um, controversy, I guess, like not, not really controversy, but they found Beethoven's metronome or, or not so much that they found his metronome, but like after he had gone deaf, he, the metronome was invented mm-hmm. and he got one. And he went back in and put metronomic markings in most of his symphonies. And people today look at those values and it doesn't make sense because they were fast. They were super Hmm. fast. And a lot of these, like the Beethoven's Fifth, I mean, it's like you hear it about this speed. But when he was actually going back in and writing it, it was like... Almost double. And so it gives it this almost Metallica kind of feel. I mean, it's it's like cruising right along. And so people have been arguing about whether or not his metronome was broken or if in his, you know, after going deaf, if he, if he kind of maybe started to think of that sound differently because he wasn't experiencing it with his ears. It was more just the, the memory of, of, of sound and, mm-hmm. and the concept of notes and everything. But anyway, I've I've heard a couple of things where people have gone back in and tried to play it, and it is, it, if that's how it was done back in the day, it makes sense that he would have been sort of um, notable, and and that that music must have been really much more exciting at that time, yeah, than than it is now because yeah. it, it's kind of I don't want to say it's sleepy, but it's it's it doesn't have the edge, like the way that when I heard Beethoven's Fifth at the advanced speed, it sounded much more edgy. Like you could, you know, he could have possibly been, uh, you know, at the same festival with Bass Nectar or something like that. Huh. If, if you'd somehow add some subs into it, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's all he needs is subs. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, that's an important part of the piece. 
And you can't, unless he, like you said, wrote it on the sheet music, you mm. have no idea what the yeah. tempo is. But yeah. if he's playing it super fast, I mean, that would change everything for sure. Yeah. Well, and like, we're talking advanced professional symphonies and, and composers saying, uh, I don't know, that's, that's, mm, that can't be right. You know, people, people, people who are the best in the world struggling to, to really perform it the way that he went in and. That's why maybe it. he was just like uber genius, uber professional, exceptional player. Like no one had ever seen anything like that. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure he was pretty good. I mean, people don't really know if if those guys were that good because like you said, we don't have recordings. Yeah. But it's interesting because I, I think that back then music was there weren't there weren't the the, con, the concept of rock stars didn't exist until we started creating uh, recordings and selling them. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know if anybody knows who was the first chair violinist at the opening of Beethoven's Fifth. You know, I mean, it was it wasn't until Elvis. It was right? just a job. You know, you weren't a big deal. Yeah, you know? um, Elvis. Yeah, something like that. I don't know who the first when it when it really first kind of. It might have been before Elvis, really. I was actually listening or reading something today. Um, one of the first uh, recording artists, I forget his name, but uh, I think he was a blues, Delta blues guy. And back then, each recording was a master. I read that same article. Keep okay, going. yeah. Yeah, so he had like 25,000 performances of it, or he sold 25,000 copies, meaning that he had to record it 25,000 times. He was doing it like 50 times a day. Well, and it said they set up multiple... Uh, yeah, yeah, because yeah, it was yeah. on wax cylinders, yeah. and so it's recording straight to the cylinder, and so he's got like nine different setups, yeah. playing the song, yeah, yeah. That's pretty cool. I thought, man, that would be a little tedious, but at the same time, I bet he made some pretty good money, and I bet he became a better player after. Oh yeah, <laughs> after playing doing it that. that many times. Although he probably hated that song. Yeah, for sure. Because <laughs> yeah, what do they say? It takes ten thousand hours to become an expert at something. Yeah, yeah. for the average person. Yeah, there's other people. Yeah, <laughs> there's there's those bastards that that just are just good. That, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's probably nonsense to s suggest that they don't put any work into it. But you know, you know who Derek Trucks is? Uh -uh. He's a guitar player that um, he's probably about my age. But w his father was the drummer in the Allman Brothers, hmm. and so at 11 he picked up guitar and by 13 he was not as a charity bit or a gimmick but good enough and was actually playing uh, with the Allman Brothers. Hmm. It took him two years to just get up there and start like actually hanging and playing with them. That's a tough spot to be in man to be a famous musician's kid. Yeah well he's more famous than his dad now so huh. yeah, like he's he's one of the few rare, seemingly well-adjusted people who, who had that sort of, uh, you know, uh, recognition as a, as a child. Yeah. Um, which is one of the reasons why I, I still like him, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's I, I try not to really care about that. It's, I'm, you know, more into the art or the music or whatever, but at the same time, it's like when, when people become just really annoying, it's like, uh, yeah, yeah. I'd rather not. Yeah. Well, the other thing I was thinking about was so there's only there's only so many notes and mm -hmm. there's only so many chords mm -hmm. and there's only so many patterns to put those chords in order yeah 
And have you ever seen that YouTube video where uh, they play the same four chords over and over and over again? And every every four bars, they change songs? Mm. I've seen, maybe not, I don't know if I've seen the specific one, but uh, I've seen the kind of mashup where it just shows that the theory doesn't really vary that much from song to song. No, no, it doesn't. <laughs> there's, um, there's a certain pattern and like... That they'll sing a line of Lady Gaga, then they'll mm -hmm. sing the Lion, the Lion King, and then they'll mm -hmm. sing Talking Heads. Like so many bands have used that same progression. Sometimes it's in a different key, but it's mm -hmm. the same thing back and forth. And it's like it's pleasing to humans. And so it makes you wonder like how long have people been playing that progression? And somehow it's just like in our DNA that we like that. And it just takes a new artist every couple of years to write new lyrics to it and put a different bass line <laughs> yeah. or a bass sound underneath it, you know? Uh, yeah. Or some fresh rhythm or yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really weird. I mean, it's also interesting because when you look at music from other parts of the world, it's not necessarily true that the, those same um, harmonies are, are as, as prevalent. Um, in some places, harmony is not even really that much of the, the the basis of music. Like if you listen to like traditional Pakistani or Indian music, I mean, it's not to say that there's not harmonies, but it's a lot more about rhythm and melody. And the melodies, instead of having, we have seven different notes, eight if you count the, you know, the, the octave. octave. Yeah. And I want to say the microtonal scales that they use in India are in like the 20s, something like that, 23, hmm. something like that. And... It's just they they understand that there is this tension and release that's more detailed than what we have. So some of those notes would just sound a little out of tune to the Western ear, but it's not. Hmm. You know, they're, they're distinct. Um, but I don't hear much of the one, four, five chord structure that you're talking about, which yeah. that's, that's the first, the fourth, and the fifth uh, notes of the scale uh, have this weird relationship where Westerners hear it as this really strong, like the 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 connection between those. You just feel like it it goes somewhere, yeah. you know, and it's resolved. The tension is there, and then it's resolved. And why? That is a really interesting question. I, yeah. I, and and why not in in Lahore or someplace? You know, like yeah. What what's the basis for that? Mm -hmm. But now we're kind of getting our mu like Western music is getting in a lot of ways more like. Uh, Indian music, where it's much more just about rhythm, and I mean the melody is a lot more simple. <laughs> like yeah. we, I saw something the other day that was saying that on average the the top ten has gotten more simple progressively over time, huh. and in years when there were particularly interesting or complex things that made it onto the charts, the uh, top hits were even more simple hmm. and it's just people they want to be able to whistle a yeah. tune you know they, yeah. they, they don't want to be challenged they just want it to be something that they can kind of well, enjoy that, and that's the appeal of modern country music right is there an appeal to modern country music <laughs> you know what i'm talking about it's like <laughs> you know about ford pickups Ugh. going down to the water you know yeah got the girl on my arm <laughs> you know all that kind of stuff they, you listen to that stuff and you, if you try, you can appreciate why people like it, 
but it's so formulaic. Mm, yeah, it's it's very formulaic. I I, I honestly don't like it uh, because of where I grew up. Um, and I do like old country. Yeah. You know, I like uh, bluegrass. I like what What is it that country. makes you think of where it, you grew up and you don't like that or what? No, it's, it's, it's pretentious. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I kind of think that around the time that cable networks came online, that's when redneck culture started to get the way that it is. Instead of just being country, you know, people people were marketed to. The, the Nashville network came online mm-hmm. and you could buy, you know, rhinestone studded boots on TV and crap like that. And yeah. people were selling truck nuts and <laughs> ain't ain't skeered stickers for the back of your, your yeah. window. And, and I just feel like people like myself, people who uh, didn't quite feel comfortable uh, as a part of that subculture and who were, you know, who tended to to move away, um, moved away. And the people that stayed behind kind of doubled down on this, this sort of redneck culture that I just find, I don't know. It's not that I want to judge anybody's culture. It's just that I remember the way that country folks and, and even redneck people were when my grandparents were around. Mm-hmm. And it, it just, they weren't into... Um, the the showiness of it, mm-hmm. you know, like they were much more frugal, simple uh, folks, and like people driving around in ninety thousand dollar pickup trucks, and you know, my <laughs> yeah. grandparents were just like, "What's wrong with you?" <laughs> yeah. You know, are are you going to put lumber in that? You yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I just see a lot of that modern country is a product, a focus grouped. I mean, I think that's one of the big things about a lot of modern music is having done so much work in corporate America, uh, I don't think there's much that gets offered as a product that's not focus grouped, that's not sort of a, a top-down uh, offering. And and if it's made it to the prime time, it probably wasn't just some, you know, some grass grassroots thing that trickled on up. You know, I mean, it's it's been handled usually. Yeah, it's weird because it seems like there's more potential for organic stuff to happen now mm-hmm. just because of the internet. And you, there's no there's no filter between you and whoever. You just got to get popular somehow. Yeah. But that's the weird thing about the internet is that even though there's more options, there's a better way for people in those positions to force certain things. I mean, like you think about... Mm-hmm. Uh, 30, 40, 50 years ago. And in order for you to have a hit record, mm-hmm. you would have to get on the radio, right? And now there's a thousand options for you to put your music out, but that means that everything's kind of watered down. Yeah. So, well, I mean, it was kind of watered down back in the day, too. There were regional sounds, you know, like if you went to Tulsa, Oklahoma, it sounded a certain way. And if you went to Houston, it sounded a certain way. Mm-hmm. There were regional distribution. Can you get that opener? Yeah. Um, you know, in these days, I kind of think the internet is not dissimilar. It just doesn't have the the aggregation of hometown, home team kind of. Hey, this is our this is our guy or our gal kind of yeah. thing. You know, I mean, the internet just it distributes it further and wider but at less density. Yeah. Um, 
unless it's really good. And and in a, I mean, it gets very democratic in that sense. Like if, if it's actually there, there is some meritocracy on online. It, it's also there's a lot of stuff that's handled and a lot of stuff that's guided. But I I think that if stuff is good enough, people share it. You know, I mean, there's there are bands out there that are doing great stuff, and you know, it's not that that isn't possible anymore. It's just that they're not likely to be on the Super Bowl. You know what yeah. I mean? Like if you're being if you're getting onto the Super Bowl, if you're getting those kind of contracts, so to speak, I mean, chances are you didn't you know just start out playing bars. Yeah. You know? I mean, not as a unit. Mm-hmm. And it, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I just don't see it much. I mean, it seems like it's kind of sort of top-down product marketing in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. But there's also tons of really good stuff out there. It's just you don't know where to look necessarily. Exactly. You know? That's that's the hard part. It became so widely available. There's just there's just too much. There's too much. Well, and it, yeah, and as a result, it doesn't have so the supply and demand are are out of whack at least in terms of making a living at it, you know, but I think that going back to that um, opening night of Beethoven's fifth, I mean, the person sitting in the first chair violin position wasn't doing it because she dreamt of being, you know, world famous. It was because that person enjoyed playing music and you know, I mean, it's not to say that they didn't probably make a decent living, but I mean, you know, people did what they, you know, what they were good at and what they enjoyed. And there was never this like, I'm going to buy an island kind of, you know. That's a crazy spot to be in though, when you think about it, because people have been talking about Beethoven for at least what, 250 years? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And you could potentially have been a person that was playing with him. I wonder if they had any idea that that name would carry on. Like, like what Probably name not. now would carry on like that? I don't even know. Like Kanye? Probably. I mean, as much as I'd like to talk shit about him. Uh, I mean, you know, the only reason I really, like I was saying before, I, there's when people act, start acting annoying, it's harder for me to like their music. But, you know, Kanye's done some cool stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I've I'm not a completely old guy at this point, you know. Like, I, I've I can see things that are I can appreciate, and most of the stuff that's popular. But man, some of that older stuff just it, you know, like when you walk into a room and or, or or not necessarily even walk into a room, but you catch a whiff of something that triggers a memory, smell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's the way that a lot of older music makes me feel, mm-hmm. you know, it, it brings me back to a time and a place. And I, I guess that's why a lot of music is sort of focused on the youth, <laughs> you know, because they're the ones that are kind of making those new memories. Yeah. Um, but to me, uh, even when I was younger, I was into older music cause my grandparents were old for my age. You know, mm-hmm. they were, they were, they were all in their 90s when they passed about six or eight years ago. And so I, I was listening to a lot of big band stuff and Texas swing and all this music from the 30s and 40s when I was a kid. And so I already felt out of touch when I was a teenager. Because <laughs> it's like, you guys don't know who Tommy Dorsey is? Like, <laughs> little brown jug? He's good. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, Kanye probably. Uh, but I mean, I just think that that con that concept of stardom is not where it's at now. I think it's more about the the corporate entity that that puts out the music than than the particular artist at this point. Yeah. Because um, I mean, if they want to make a a Mickey Mouse character, that's something that they could do. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I, honestly, I think we've talked about this, but like, I I kind of feel like the 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 move toward holographic performances is really interesting because if Tupac can can play at Coachella, however many years ago that was, you know what I'm talking about, where they brought out a holographic uh, film and yeah, well, they've done it with Hendrix too, haven't they? They've done it with a few people yeah. who are gone. Um, one of these days, I here's my prediction: they're going to create a character, sort of like Mickey Mouse, who is. A wonderful singer, <laughs> computer-generated mm -hmm. uh, voice, computer-generated face. Um, this this person will have um, an ageless look, and they'll never say racist crap on the internet, and they'll never <laughs> know, get addicted right? to fentanyl and crash their boat. Yeah. You know? I mean, and they can just... You know, just harvest money that way. You yeah. Know? Just focus group it, like you said. Yeah. And sure. I mean, I hate to be so cynical, but I mean, that's kind of how stuff works. I uh -huh. mean, it's not to say that there aren't grassroots things out there, but there's also astroturfed things. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, there's a lot of savvy people out there. And if they got to make it look a little uh, homemade or whatever, then, you know, they can do that too. Um but well, yeah, that's the cool thing. If it's digital, they could just shift it however they want to, yeah. in in subtle ways or dramatic ways. Uh, you made me think of something when you said a second ago about. I think you're right. I think it's memory oriented, mm -hmm. and the reason like your parents love Zeppelin or Pink Floyd or whatever, and we love Nirvana or what mm -hmm. you know whatever happened in that era is like the times that you're listening to those types of music is when you're like in your formative years and you're hanging out with friends and you're doing drugs, making out with girls, you know, crashing cars, whatever. Yeah. You, Having fun. All those things. <laughs> and so like you associate all those types of music with like, in a lot of ways, what could be like the best time period of your life. And mm -hmm. then you get a little bit older and things kind of smooth out and you're not doing crazy shit anymore. And maybe you're having kids, you're paying the mortgage, you know, like you're not going to just start listening to everything that's popular right now. You're no. going to, you're going to listen to that stuff that you love. It reminds you of like all those awesome times yeah. you and your buddies had and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, so going, talking about tradition and music, um, that's something we no longer have. And because, and I don't, having not been around in the past and not being an ethnomusicologist, uh, I don't know this for a fact, but it's my understanding that there was a time when generations of people would share music. You know, like you didn't have to get new music when, when your kids came around mm -hmm. um, because the songs were more tied to a place and to a, a culture than to... Um, what year you graduated high school, you know? And so there were songs that, that every, like the children and the parents and the grandparents all knew and, and could relate to. Um, and maybe even 
further than that. Like there's some songs that I've learned in the past few years. I, I started playing more acoustic guitar uh, at some point before the pandemic actually even. And I, I've learned a bunch of really old songs, probably a couple hundred years old, some of them, you know, and eh, I don't know if they're good enough or if it matters, but I don't know. I just feel like, you know, when, when music brings you back to a time, if it was tied not to a specific time, but it was tied to a culture, um, I imagine that the power that existed within music was probably stronger than, mm-hmm. you know, the way, I mean, it kind of is that way in New Orleans still. Like, I don't know if you've, if you've spent much time in New I've Orleans, but I mean, the music and the food don't change much, Yeah, you know, and they're popular. They're very popular. You go down to Frenchman Street and there's groups of young people and old people, multi, like different generations of people and uh, brass bands just like marching down the street, playing this groovy stuff. And like, there's just people all out in the street marching along with them. And it's hmm. like, it's like this big, it's, it's not, it's not about those memories. It's about right now. Yeah. You know, it's about being. Well, I wonder if that's what gospel music is. I think so. Cause you're singing the same songs for generations. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. It's a thing that ties people together and, yeah. and the moment. Um, and it, and it expresses things through that shared um, experience that you would struggle to put into words succinctly, I think, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's, it, it wells up that kind of emotion in that moment. Um, and that's, you know, I, I felt that way a lot about older music, especially blues. Um, not all of it, but like sp- some specific artists. Um, and uh I was really kind of shocked to find out how unpopular it was, honestly. Like, <laughs> I was like, okay, I've got my 10,000 hours now. And, you know, it took me a little while to, to kind of come to terms with that. Um, it, was a, it was a bit of a letdown because when I was a 20-year-old in Little Rock, it was popular enough that it didn't seem like a total pipe dream to imagine that, oh, yeah, I would just keep working at it. And eventually, you know, I wouldn't make much money, but I would you know, be a session musician or something. Well, or just play clubs. Yeah. You know, just making maybe 150 bucks a night or something like that. But like, you know, getting by, um, and that's, that's tougher to do than, um, than I thought it would be, you know, I mean, I've, I've made some money playing, but it's just, nobody wants to pay a cover. No. I mean, there's no, there was a time I think where you had to actually be good to get a gig. And so, the expectation was, oh, we're going to go hear some music. And yeah. and now, especially in Portland, because Portland having all these neighborhood bars, you know, I used to do a bunch of gigs there at different, or not there, but like in neighborhood bars. And man, like, it's just too loud. You know, I, I've been working on that a lot, just trying to figure out how to get nice tones at lower volumes. Mm-hmm. Because I, I think the reality is, is people are just hanging out. Yeah. And then a band comes in and they're like, hey, everybody, we're we're going to rock your face, you know, and uh, and it's just too loud. You yeah. Know? Um, I think music needs to kind of get back to some of the the humble beginnings that it had in the corner of a bar, you know, where it wasn't 100 decibels, you know. Yeah. It was just this thing that people were doing to have, have fun and, and like hang out with their friends and make connections with with people and learn the song that, that somebody's uncle taught them or whatever, you know? I think that's the thing that's different now though, is I think it was possible to make money playing in a band or even become famous 
and get a record deal or whatever. Mm. I don't think people do that much anymore, right? It doesn't seem like rock music, oh, no. air quotes, rock not, music. Not right now. Is it, uh, For sure. No. It disappeared, man. That's not a thing anymore. I mean, there's a little bit, I mean, the jam band scene is still a little more popular. Yeah. Uh, you, you ever listen to Corey Wong? Have you heard? Mm-hmm. I'll have to send you some links on him. But okay. uh, he's kind of heard about Wolfpack. You, you're familiar with Wolfpack? There, there's this little nexus of musicians that are all kind of connected. Those guys actually got their first notoriety by more or less not. I wouldn't say scamming, but they put out an album called Sleepify. And it was just silent. It was uh, like an hour long and it was silent. And they went around and at their shows told people to to put it on when they sleep. It's an album for sleeping. And, <laughs> and so people would do this and they made like 20 grand off Spotify. What? And they used the money to go uh, tour around and promote themselves more. And they also got press from, from gaming that system, you know. And those guys, there's a, I don't know, six, eight, different bands that are all kind of there's a definite Motown influence there's a there's a definite um, R&B and soul influence and funk Hmm. Um, you know so I mean if you like that kind of stuff they're yeah they're really good examples of it but uh, they're kind of like they're killing it but the only reason they're killing it is because they are making their own path yeah you know they're really I guess pretty savvy when it when it comes to internet marketing. Yeah, <laughs> you know? that's important these days. Yeah, like you can't let you can't be reliant on your your like a manager or I mean I, I mean you can if you're attractive enough, you know like I don't know how many people have managers anymore though. Well, you have to be really attractive, <laughs> <laughs> not just kind of like you have to be uh, a face that people would put on magazines. Yeah. You know, and you know, some of those people are really, really talented also. Uh-huh. The, and it's kind of frustrating when the people that I want to hate on, cause I'm like, oh, they're just another, another good looking person they got out there. Dan-. And then I hear them actually sing and I'm like, oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> like, you have to hit the just, genetic lottery. Yeah. You're just better than me, I guess. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, our, our friend Cade sent me a video about, um, why rock music died in mm-hmm. the 2000s. Have you ever seen that? Mm-hmm. It, it's about quantizing beats. Uh-oh. And so, I mean, for the longest time, from basically the 60s, maybe late 50s, up through like the 90s, you would go into a recording studio. Mm-hmm. It would be super expensive. And they would record all those tracks individually to two-inch tape. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, to be able to do that, you would have to get funding from some sort of label or something. Mm. Well, then digital happened and people could record on their computers. Mm -hmm. And so in the early 2000s, when it was like Nickelback and Puddle of Mud and Limp Biscuit and all those like (laughs) new new metal or whatever, they started recording digitally in Pro Tools Mm -hmm. on computers. And so... For anybody that doesn't know what I'm talking about, when you quantize, it's like the drummer would play everything through and then the computer would line up the beats so that they were exactly when they were supposed to be. Right, right, right. And so if there was any inconsistency, it would just – they basically computerized it. And so what it did is it took all of 
the soul out of it. The soul. Yeah, it made it a computer. Yeah. And so the cool thing about this video that that Cade sent me was it shows uh, tempo, what we were talking mm-hmm. about earlier with Beethoven. Um, the tempo on those Nickelback songs mm-hmm. is hard 95 beats a minute for the entire four minute song. It never deviates. Yeah. And you go back and you listen to like some of Zeppelin stuff. Yeah, I was gonna say Zeppelin. Yeah, it like, it it fluctuates. Like they'll you, speed up for the chorus and they'll slow down for the verses. Cause that's- Even if you just listen to individual parts uh, within Led Zeppelin, like even if the even if the drums are, are, are being very solid, it's possible that the guitar part might speed up and slow down a little bit mm-hmm. in and outside of the beat. But like, that's part of where the- the groove comes from. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it's, and also it's, I think that, you know, <coughs> excuse me. I think that he, there's a, there's an album called the pizza tapes. That's a, a bunch. Well, it's Jerry Garcia and David Grisman and Tony Rice. And, and they were hanging out at some studio. It wasn't supposed to be, I think it was just supposed to be them hanging out and recording and having a good time. And somebody released the recordings and was bootlegging them. And so they, saw that it was out there they decided to just make it official and they mm-hmm. put the album out but it's great because there's tons of mistakes it's them um you know they they start some of the songs four times you know and instead of seeing you know listening to this music we're like wow these these people are are really special they, they're just like they're perfect and they never you know just hearing them just kind of screw up and then laugh and 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 you see that it's just much more about um you know, like there's a lot of work going into it, first of all, yeah. but also that they're not perfect and it just kind of humanizes it more and makes it seem like, oh, wow, yeah, I could, I could imagine being in the room. But that once you start quantizing and, and doing everything close mic'd and making it sound bigger than it ever was. Yeah. Then when you go see it live, it's sloppy and kind of hollow sounding. Mm-hmm. And, and honestly, you know, I think that back when, when, RCA stereo speakers were about the best thing you could get. And I mean, I don't know what the the response really was on it, but it wasn't as low or high as what we have now. And you would listen to say The Temptations. You know, it kind of sounded a little boxy, you know. It wasn't it wasn't that full or sparkly or 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 big. But then you go to the Coliseum or to the club they're playing at. And you hear them on a PA and all of a yeah. sudden it's like full resolution and uh-huh. and you're there and it's about being there. But yeah, like most of the, I mean, that's why I, I don't, it, it's not like I don't appreciate modern um, production levels because they can sound so wonderful. But it sets these expectations that most of the time can't be really recreated in a room. Yeah. You know, and so it's not about being there. It's about... It's about the album. Well, yeah, and it's really about the experience too, because it's like what we said. It's mm-hmm. it's when you go, it's when you go to Target and you hear Nirvana, and you're like, "Holy shit, dude!" I remember when I was chugging beers in Ricky's backyard. Like, that's what it is, man. It, it's that feeling you get. It's like when you walk through somewhere mm-hmm. you were talking about when you smell something. Yeah. Dude, I used to wear Michael Jordan cologne in sixth grade. <laughs> no one wears that shit anymore. And if I go somewhere and I catch a whiff of that, I'll think of some girl that I liked in sixth grade. Oh, yeah. Just right back there, yeah. man. It's I crazy. can't think of the names of any of the perfumes, but there are a couple perfumes that I can still remember. Um, 
I have no idea what they're called. And I kind of like that on some level because I know that like one day I'll just like catch a, <laughs> catch something so on the breeze weird. And, and recognize it. But yeah, the, well, they say the olfactory system is more tied to memory than any of our other senses. Hmm. And I don't know why. Maybe that's uh maybe that has something to do with the fact that we look different as we age, you know, but maybe there's some underlying pheromonal, uh, you know, like the smell of somebody, you know, it's got to have to do with danger, right. And avoiding danger so that you, you catch a whiff of like, well, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, usually there's something to do with danger in terms of evolutionary developments, but there's also the weird ones that just kind of made it through somehow, (laughs) you know, like there's, there's parts about us where it's like, well, I don't know if that's a a bug or a feature, but like the appendix. Yeah. Well, I mean, actually, I don't know. I don't know if the appendix is one, cause I think it used to have a, a purpose a long time ago. It's that's one that's on its way out, but like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of just like, I don't know. What's your, you, you know, the little uvula in the back. Oh, of yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I'm sure that has a purpose too, but there's, the, I imagine there's, there's gotta be some, I don't have any good examples of it right now, mm-hmm. but like, there's definitely some things like, you know, why do we get hair here, you know, but not as much here, mm-hmm. you know, like why don't, why, why is it advantageous for humans to not be as hairy as our primate cousins? Yeah. You know, I mean, is it because, well, I mean, like, it's not like primates don't live where it's hot, you know, just weird. Well, yeah. And dogs have tons of hair. Yeah. They run at like a different body temperature too. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's why they don't care if it's cold or hot because they're just, they're not going to live very long. Like, eh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, they're like, yeah, it's cool. It's all good because I'm, I've only got like 12 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude. Oh, man. But yeah, speaking of Kmart, I was noticing the, I was drove by the Kmart not too far from here on the way in. And did you see all that? Crazy stuff that went down. On 122nd? Yeah. It was like Proud Boy rally, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I am so annoyed by all that stuff. I'm annoyed that it's possible to rally any group of people and have nefarious backings. You know what I mean? The backings? Just you can you can organize a group of people regardless of what your uh, opinion is or what your desire is or like whatever you're trying to achieve, all you got to do is convince some people and they'll just start a wildfire. It's so easy these days and nobody knows why they're doing anything. They just like lump together and it's easier to chant two word uh, Uh, rally cries. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's not enough equal distribution of smarts as part of it. You know, yeah. like there's there's way too much intelligence concentrated in one area and way too little of it in every other area. And the the really intelligent people are are not always looking out for everybody. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, you know, like it's I am very much disturbed by all that. Um, I really think that 
if we can keep the wheels on for another 10 years or so, the, the next, the up and coming generations are way less interested in that kind of nonsense. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm also frustrated at how a lot of people don't take it very seriously. They, they like to refer to those folks as LARPers and, and laugh and call them gravy seals and all that stuff. But mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there's, there's places, there's places where, uh, it's not seen so, uh, unseriously, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, like, I've, I've met a lot of folks when I grew up in Arkansas that, that don't make me think those guys are a joke. Yeah. You know, um, some of their beliefs are a joke. Um, but there's also, you know, and, and like, I, I would never want to be mistaken, uh, for being an apologist or something like that. But uh, myopia is a really, 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 really strong force. And, you know, when I was, I mean, I was young, but at the same time, before a certain age, the the place I lived, the the little local belief system, the, the little town, well, I, I stayed there a fair bit, but it was a little place called Paris, Arkansas. There's like 2000 people. Mm-hmm. And there, you know, people didn't lock their doors. Everybody believed in Jesus. Um, it was a a people that were tight, you know, and they all kind of believed in a really clear right and wrong. And their parents believed it too, and their grandparents believed it, and their kids believed it. And there really was no question from inside the culture. The only questioning was really coming from outside the culture, you know, and I could see how a lot of these folks are just sort of on a team, you know, they're just, they're just sort of looking for a tribe. Yeah. It's tribalism. But, oh my gosh, (laughs) the, the specifics of it are, are a lot, a lot more difficult to understand, you know, like the specific beliefs, but I can... I can see how people can sort of get caught up. Like, you know about the concept of Plato's cave, right? Like, uh-uh. well, the allegory of the cave basically says that a lot of people live in a cave and they see the shadows of the m- movement outside the cave on the walls of the cave and they think that that's reality. Mm-hmm. That's everything. And then if someone actually makes it outside and they can see that, oh no, these shadows that were on the walls are actually just the light being blocked by things that are moving out there, you know? And I, I think it basically, you know, if you don't have something challenge the views that you're given by the place you grow up or, or, or by your family, if nothing challenges you sufficiently by a certain age, I mean, that's just what color the sky is, you yeah. know? And, and it's... I'm not an, I'm, I would never apologize for anyone's bad behavior, but at the same time, I feel like, uh, you know, people need to kind of try to be more understanding that like perspective can really dictate someone's reality, even if it's something that they can't really relate to, or they think is abhorrent. Um, because a lot of these folks are, are like, ready to fight, man. I mean, like we need to figure out some way to, to actually communicate with, with the, with the 30% of this country that is losing their mind right now. Well, the problem is 
there's no room for the gray area. Yeah. Everybody's just 100% one side or the other. Yeah. There's no attempt to understand anything. And going off what you're talking about, it 100% has to do with who your parents are, mm -hmm. who you grow up around, what your school system is, what you're allowed to research or discover. If you are trapped in some sort of environment that doesn't allow you to, to use your brain, I don't know if this is true or not, but it seems like your brain would atrophy. If you're not allowed to pursue different ideas and, and investigate. Well, it gets locked in. Yeah. You just, and dude, that's so terrifying to, for any, any belief or any opinion to believe anything 100%. But I think people like that. People want the comfort mm -hmm. of knowing that Jesus is God. Yeah. And that yeah. is what I'm going to believe forever. And you're like, well, like I always like to say, what if, what if Jesus came down and was like, I voted for Obama. <laughs> <laughs> he voted for Nader. <laughs> yeah. Minds explode. <laughs> like people there, I, I strongly believe there are people that if Jesus really did come down, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what he says. They'd be like, you're an imposter, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, it's um it's really frustrating and it's it's been something that's really I, I've thought a lot about just because I mean part of the reason I moved to the West Coast was I felt so much like an outsider in the South. There were plenty of people in the South that I as a Portlander could relate to mm -hmm. and who would do just fine in um this this area. Um but you know, I mean it's not the majority, you know, and that's, and that's fine. I mean, I, like, I think that for the most part in reality, and it's part of the reason why I, I, I speak with a little empathy um, toward those folks is that most of the, most of those people are not hateful. They're really not. Most of those people are not. Um, there are enough of them that are that it, it's a big problem. But, um, you know, when you look at like the fact that, Say in the 2016 election, Hillary Clinton got probably I think she got like 35 percent of the state's votes, you know. And a lot of people out here, when I when you mention a state like Mississippi, they just write it off. Yeah, you know, they're like, screw that place. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I just don't think that that's really a good idea because it it does seem like there's just it just keeps getting crazier, you know. It does, and the the problem is that. Hillary Clinton was not a good candidate. No, no, no. I, I, I didn't. Re I did not think that she was going to win. Yeah. Uh, growing up in the South, there has been there had been propaganda campaigns against her when she was the governor's wife. Yeah. That's that's a long time ago. Well, yeah, because they came from Little Rock, right? Yeah. 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 So people in that area have disliked her for a long time. Yeah. And it was there was a built in. Um, just dislike for her. Yeah. Um, well, and you can't escape that. If you're in politics, once it's like what we're talking about, once you make up your mind about somebody, yeah. you're never going to convince them otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's the well, tribe, man. And that, that's the problem is that we don't have options. You mm -hmm. get two options. Yeah. And that's dumb. And so you love whoever you love and you hate the other one. 
There's no, there's no in between, and it's not that easy. No, and nothing I, is that easy. I mean, I, I have voted, um, I have voted bipartisanly. I tend to only vote Republican in primary elections because I. It's not that I'm a Democrat. I just agree with the Democrats more. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes I'll vote for uh, the most favorable Republican in the primary because I don't care so much about the Democratic primary usually. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been interested in the Democratic primary sometimes, but you know, I'm like, ah, whatever. I'm going to vote for the Republican that I like that I dislike the least mm-hmm. in the primary and hope that he becomes the challenger <laughs> in case uh, a Republican wins. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea that Republicans or Democrats at this point are going to offer any real solutions to anything is not panning out. Yeah. You know? Um, I think that's part of the problem. Why Why is one person in charge – or they're not even in charge. Why does one person dictate one-third of the option that can happen? Like yeah. why is – it doesn't seem like it's going to last. Well, we are still working with a system that was the best way we could organize thought 250 years ago or whatever. Yeah, when was, there were know. 13 states and like maybe a million yeah. people. I don't know. Yeah. Probably not even. Probably like 500,000 people. Yeah. I forget how many people it was, but it was a lot less. Like when they signed the Declaration of Independence, Earth's population was something like 400 million. <laughs> Which, you know, it goes – I mean that's part of – Okay, so you break down one of the demographics between the two choices, and you've you've got the, you know, the coastal elites and their their college degrees, and those folks are a lot more interested in statistics. I mean, I don't know if that's totally true, but I mean, it seems like people on the left are a lot more likely to make their opinions based on um, whatever the experts are saying rather than what common sense tells you. you yeah, know? what I mean, common sense. Um, but like the idea that any of that stuff is going to be particularly sufficient is, I think we've, we've created a world that's much more complex than that, which existed when we created the, the guidelines that we run everything on, Yeah, you know, and it's just, we, I think. I, I mean, it's kind of nice that some people feel so emotionally attached to to the the history of America. But I think that really, if we want to have a good outcome, we really need to be willing to, you know, rethink how stuff works. Uh, I'm not a believer that democratic policies are going to fix much of anything. I mean, anytime that something tries to actually move the opposite direction from the way that Republican uh Governments have, have pushed them. The Democrats are like, well, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if we want to get crazy with that. You know, it's just sort of this like, I think it was George Carlin said that the Democrat, no, it wasn't George Carlin. Who was it that said that? It was like the Democrats and the Republicans are the left and right wings of the business party in America. Yeah. You know, and I mean, you got to get stuff done, I guess, you know, but I mean, I just feel like I, I was watching this documentary one time about USSR and this isn't a a, a, a a push. I'm not saying that I, I think communism necessarily was a good idea or is or whatever. But I, what they were trying to do, according to this, was engineer a society. You know, they had more engineers per capita than any other country uh, at the time. And there were 
all these engineered ideas on how to make stuff work. And they were interviewing the minister of grains. And he had this huge stack of books that, I mean, it was thousands and thousands of pages. And he was very proudly pointing and saying, you know, we, we only produce as much grain as we need. We're in total control of supply and demand, blah, 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 blah. And I mean, we've got all the data. Look, here's the, uh, the data for April. And it was like, Easily 10,000 pages of, I don't know what was in the books, but I imagine it was probably a lot of dense numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just occurred to me that from a technological standpoint, there's no way that they had the capability of actually processing that data. Yeah. You know? And so as it was presented, it didn't work out so well. But my point is that, like, as we create new technologies that allow us to, to, uh, keep better tabs on what we're doing, like uh, blockchain stuff, for instance, where you can, you know, you can mark a specific bag of rice Mm -hmm. and see it in real time as it moves across the globe throughout the supply chain. And you can pay for it with specific currency. Yeah. You know, like you allocate $10 for that bag of rice and you know that that specific $10 is the one that paid for that specific. I mean, we're getting to the point where that kind of detailed, um, understanding and nuance in in terms of um, possibly planning some of that stuff could, maybe that could work. Yeah. Um, and I just think that we're stuck in this, this weird flag waving uh, team cheer session where, you know, it, it, instead of talking about how we can do things differently, how we can do things better, it's just, no, the other guys are wrong. Yeah. You know, and I mean, I, I tend to agree with one side more than other, the other, but- mm-hmm. At the same time, you know, having lived in a, a a conservative area for most of my life, I know that it's not like it's not how people here tend to see it. You know, yeah. like like even even the people that I really disagree with, for the most part, I mean, they're just, I mean, they're mostly nice people. Yeah, you know, um, I can't explain the 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 mania that's going on. You know, it's just like the going out to do what was the thing yesterday luckily that didn't do much the the justice for for the justice for j6 i think was the name of the rally hmm. i don't know about it well like they were they played they planned some um rally for the people who got arrested for storming the capitol oh. they they consider them political prisoners <laughs> that whole thing is <laughs> is crazy yes i mean just how it's it's gotten to the point where you you can't agree on the color of the sky with some folks. Yeah, and uh, you know, like those aren't the folks I'm talking about. You know, like but just you know, someone I saw something that said that you know instead of thinking of the South as this like immovable right wing block, you can think of it as communities of color held hostage by right wing governments. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just I think we would if we could find ways to kind of make bridges with the the people that we don't necessarily understand, we'd all be a lot better off. Yeah, for sure. Um, but it seems like people are at a, a weird place that they haven't been in a long time, you mm-hmm. know, to just, like, I was so shocked to find out that people just battle in the streets here. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and now the cops don't even show up. Yeah. You know, like. It's a tough spot to be in. Um, hang on. I got to hit the bathroom and we'll keep going. Okay. Are you good? You need to go? I'm good.
Like Alf. Is Alf number P? I think so, yeah. I think that being one of his <laughs> superpowers. So. Uh, <laughs> no, this is cool. It makes me think of like what... I'm sure there's super powerful, mm -hmm. uh, very wealthy people above anybody that we even know about who, who are really like dictating and planning and strategizing, trying to figure out what's going to happen. You can't, you, for the longest time, the issue was <clears throat> exponential growth of humans mm -hmm. and feeding them and finding jobs for them and mm -hmm. finding ways to keep them complacent so that they wouldn't revolt. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we're reaching a point where the the world population is slowing down yeah. and even starting to reverse in some in cases. Some places, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is crazy. I never thought that was would be a thing, but that's happening. And so you have this this huge precipice that we're we're or this this threshold that we're about to exceed where you have so many people who need some sort of purpose and they need some sort of job, they have to make money, they have to provide, they have to be fed. It's going to change dramatically once they figure out how to have robots work in Amazon factories and do all the, the menial tasks that the only reason... The only reason a lot of people are alive mm -hmm. is to perform these tasks that rich people don't want to do. They need some sort of body to achieve that. Yeah. And we're going to cross that threshold here pretty soon where those people aren't needed anymore. And I wonder what these people who are really in charge are going to do with that. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people are assuming that there's going to be a, um, a, a split between the a larger split between the haves and the have-nots, there's going to be like a, a new underclass probably um, of unneeded people. I mean, we've already got that, you know. I mean, that's the poverty line, right? Well, I mean, you know, there's the camps here, mm -hmm. you know, like that's where we've already got the people who. I mean, it's not that I think they're unneeded, but I mean, they're they're society has thrown them away. Yeah, yeah. I think that incidentally. We could do something about that, but they serve a purpose, and and this that sort of like semi conspiracy minded thing that you were just saying, where you know there's a, there's got to be motivation, and and honestly, during the pandemic, if you watched a lot of politics, you heard some people kind of saying the quiet part out loud, you know, like, well, how are we going to motivate these people to go back to work, you know, um, and there's a lot of debate about whether or not. Um, we should be giving people the unemployment benefits that have that have been extended through the pandemic. Because, mm -hmm. you know, I know people who have – I've heard people complain, oh, well, you can't compete. You can't compete with the government, you know. And it's like, well, I mean, not if you're going to pay a minimum wage. Yeah. <laughs> you know. But we, we've already got people that are left behind. And I th I'm afraid that the unfortunate – likelihood is that we'll have more people in that position. Um, however, we also have seen a ton of democratization in technology, you know, like it's not just a political thing at this point, like the power that exists in the average maker, you know, like if you're just, if you, if you spend some time online and you figure out how to program a Raspberry Pi and you can solder, you can make things that 
would have required a government budget to make 20 years ago. Yeah, but yeah. what what do you do though? If, well, if ever, I mean, you if if somebody's creating a product or a piece of art that you yeah. want to buy, but you don't make money, then what do we do? We go to barter system. Then we're trading goods again. Maybe. Um, I mean, where do you go? I think is probably a a, a more specific question. You know, like, are people going to, like, where do people go right now, you know, who don't have a place to be? Um, they congregate under bridges and they congregate in parks. And there's a lot of debate on whether that should be happening. Uh, but I think if people were, if more people who, if the if the threshold changed, which is kind of what you're talking about, like right now to, to be houseless, chances are, you, you know, you've you've got either... Just really bad luck. That's that's a possibility. I've seen uh, more more people with cars parked at their homeless encampments uh, than I've ever seen before, and I can only imagine that a lot of those folks had a place to stay when the pandemic started. Yeah, and they they still have their car. Um, that being said, I did read that they found like a hundred cars at a, a, an encampment in North Portland not that long ago. So I mean, uh, that's beside the point. Uh, but you know, like I think, if if the threshold changed and people who could otherwise hold down a job but just don't have one because the need for human workers is is eliminated, then if there's a place for them to go, then yeah, I think you'd probably see barter. I think you'd see some sort of new. <laughs> it might be a little Mad Maxy, you know. Yeah, <laughs> like it might be a little rough, but I mean, it's not like there aren't alternatives to to capitalist uh, enterprise, you know, I mean, yeah. it can be done. It just doesn't work well when it's disincentivized, you know, I mean, like, well, and it can't work well when people are so angry with other people. Yeah. That's the problem is that there needs to be some sort of event that could bring everyone together in uh, and a some aliens An epidemic didn't do it. <laughs> no, I don't even know if aliens would do it, man. <laughs> No, probably not. Um, I mean, you know, like, you remember when September 12th, 2001 uh, rolled around and it felt like everybody was waving a flag and loving their brother and all that stuff? It was pretty cool. I mean, that was cool. Um, it was on a lot of questionable pretense. Um, not that I'm thinking 9-11 was an inside job or whatever, but like the ensuing... Afghan and Iraq wars and all that stuff that a lot of people rallied behind. You know, there was some some false pretense there. Um, but I'm not so pessimistic to think that that there's not room for people to actually improve things. It's just that really, I mean, I think a lot of this goes back to um, I had this realization when I was a kid that, you know, one year – I was learning how to use an abacus. You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. The little like beaded calculator thing. And then the next year I was learning about the World Wide Web. And so being raised by these really old grandparents who who were in fact really actually hillbillies. I mean like they – when they grew up, they hunted food and they bathed in the creek and stuff. Like I mean it was primitive life. Yeah. Um, so from from their childhood to my childhood, the shift was – just monumental, but the shift that occurred 
in our lifetimes was even bigger. I mean, it didn't like my other grandfather, he wasn't a hillbilly, but he lived out in the ranch lands and he left his hometown of Peter Pender on a horse. And later he came back in a fighter jet. I mean, like he didn't like land it there, but like, you know, his mode of transport changed from horse to to jet powered airplane, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, but I still think that the, the shift that occurred in our lifetimes is even bigger. Uh, and I remember hearing a, a headline saying that the internet was going to change everything. And I didn't really understand how, but over the years I've seen it, you know, I mean, you've, you've got all the obvious easy things like cell phones and you can, there's, there's no excuse for being ignorant any longer. I mean, if you don't know something and you want to know, you can find out now. Uh, I wonder if it makes you lazier, though, because you don't retain information potentially. I don't know. It might. I mean, I can't remember if it was Socrates or Plato, but one of them was the other's protege, and the the, the older of the two was against writing because he said it would uh, make our minds soft because you wouldn't have to memorize everything. But the only reason we know that is because his protege wrote it down. Wrote it down, right? <laughs> so, I mean. That seems crazy. How, what's he going to do? Just tell everybody and then like, they're going to tell the next person? All these newfangled kids writing everything down. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, Well, there's always something that comes along that the previous generation is like, yeah. we're not doing that. Yeah. No. Well, and I think that that as a goal should be a thing that you do. You know, like if there's ever a thing that the next generation is doing and you don't understand it and you dismiss it and then it doesn't go away, you should learn it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like you should figure out what it what that is. That's the thing though. I wonder how do you how do you know if things are slipping, if things are going the wrong direction? Uh I think you just go with it. You just go with it. You can't avoid it anyway. It's going to happen. More or less. Yeah. I mean, you take the personal choices along the way. You know, you do the the, the least harm. Um, but I mean, you know, you can't really fight the group. I mean, not not unless you actually have a place to, to place. If you have a fulcrum and a lever and a place to freaking use it. And I mean, in terms of, of that these days, I suppose that would be if you have a couple million followers on Twitter or something. And you're, if you're Taylor Swift... You know, who, who, you know, we were talking about being sort of a pop star or whatever, but she's also a political activist. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, she's, she's actually pretty influential in Tennessee politics. Which is also crazy because who knows who she's talking to or what money <laughs> she's getting. Like Soros bucks. Not to say she is. Maybe she really has a very personal opinion and she gets to say whatever she wants. But, but yeah, you don't know. I don't know. think so. But you don't know. No, I mean, you, you don't, don't really know. know. I mean, she might. I mean, I don't have any reason to think that she's not smart. Um, you know, like, yeah, but it goes in line with like, um, I don't know, any corporation or any like baseball team or whatever. Like they, or or like a news organization, they're not going to openly criticize someone who gives them money. Yeah, not usually. No. <laughs> I mean, I think that. If you want to be happy, all you can do is is make the personal choices, you know? Like, you can't fight the, the crowd. I mean, I I almost got into a, a literal fist fight one time at Mount Tabor because there were people setting off fireworks in the crowd. And 
I've, they were like stumbling around, clearly intoxicated. And somebody came over and set off like a professional mortar about 10 feet from where I was sitting. And I just, I have a pretty high threshold of, <laughs> you know, like I'm usually pretty calm, but, yeah. but like that was enough where I was like in this guy's face. Yeah. And I was just telling him how he's not doing that anymore. And then somebody else started setting more off and I, I'm like running around like a fool. And I thought that the crowd was going to stand up and be like, this guy's right. We're, there's more of us than, the, than there are of these fools. And we're trying to enjoy the fireworks and they're sitting here blowing us up. But, um, you know, like I just basically one of the, luckily there was a calm and reasonable fellow in their crowd who, who was like, this is just beginning. You know, you probably ought to go. And, and I was like, oh, well, all right, I guess, I guess I'm the, I guess I'm the asshole here, you know, but I just really thought like, since I was watching people wince from being burned and other people like, you know, being shocked from like explosions in the crowd, that if somebody stood up, that everybody would also stand up. No, it's easier to not make waves. Yeah. And that, that jaded me a little bit. I mean, I don't know if that it's, it, it's, it's a thing that you should always avoid. Maybe there's moments where you should stand up, but... Um, I think you got to be careful. You know? well, I think people are scared of the potential for failure or, or, or embarrassment. Yeah. That's why people don't become Elvis. They don't, they don't write some crazy new song that's going to change the world or do a different dance move. Like they're, they're too scared that they're going to do what you did and not be approved by the group. Yeah. I was shocked, man. I was like, somebody, surely, surely this is just like. Somebody has to like open the top, you know, and it was just didn't happen. Everybody just sat there, and then so like some friends of mine stayed, and um, they said, "Yeah, they tipped one over and shot it into the crowd right after you left." And I'm like, "Okay, I mean, like that just seemed obvious that like we don't have to put up with that, yeah, you know." But like people, you know, we've created democracy is pretty cool, you know. We've created a, a pretty interesting system, um, but. There's a lot of challenges to. What if it's wrong though, dude? Well, it's what not if, necessarily right. I mean, what if we just spent 250 years doing something there that our our great great grandchildren are going to study, and they're going to be like these fucking idiots. <laughs> Look at this thing that they did for 300 years, and it collapsed their civilization, or, or at least that that thought process. I mean, I, I think that America as we know it, for lack of a better word, is doomed. Uh, that doesn't mean that it's going to be a hellscape. It just means that the concept of American democracy – I mean, first of all, you, you need to have, I think, much closer to um, a supermajority of people who are interested in democratic values for it to do well. But also, I mean, the the reason why like I kind of consider myself a progressive is not – it's not because of any sort of thing that progressives do. It's because I believe that progress is should be the goal, you know, and that like whatever we've got right now is great. It's better than uh, a lot of other totalitarian or uh, monarchies, uh, different systems that, that existed before where one family could just have your head chopped off if – yeah, they just wanted to. Um, that's not a very good system. But at the same time, if you were lucky enough to have like a really 
awesome dictator. Like if you had just someone who was like really nice, <laughs> like everybody loves that guy. He was yeah. cool. But then his son turns out to be like, he likes to chop people's heads off. Yeah. You know, and you never can tell. So democracy at least separates us, or at least it has so far, um, from that kind of um, family power and, and that sort of, I mean, like the law is a threshold, you know, like it, it, or at least supposed, it's supposed to be. I mean, we've, we've seen that sort of be challenged a little bit here lately. And I, I still think that for the most part, we're going to, well, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to postulate because I imagine that I'll probably be wrong and be disappointed later. But, but um, there's got to be a better way, right? Well, that's the thing. It's like, I you don't, don't think this is it. You don't get to the, the ultimate by, just okay you've built a house um you could build a whole new house but if you're only needing another you know if you're only only needing some alterations you can take the house you already have and you can work on it now if you find out that the house that the foundation is is no good then there's no point in building on it mm -hmm. you know and that's i think kind of sort of the question that some people have about what's going on right now is like you know can we build a just and equitable well, first of all, some people aren't so sure that equity is a good word, and I don't understand how, how they got there. Mm -hmm. um, I'm of the opinion that equity is really important. Um, we live – if we live in one of the most, if not the most wealthy nations that's ever existed, there should be sort of a perk for membership. Mm -hmm. You know, like we don't the, – the houseless individuals out there are the boogeyman, mm -hmm. and we let them be the boogeyman. That's what happens if you don't play ball, you know. And I don't think that that's right. I don't think that it needs to be that way. It's actually more expensive than building uh, shelters. For sure. You know? I agree. But I think it it, it, it has its purpose in, in our system. It tells people, well, you better show up for work. You know, you get fired and you might end up down there. And You think that they allow it to happen for that reason? I As it like a telltale? I don't think that anybody does anything quite so specific, but I think it's a function of... of um, I mean, you know, like I said, if you watch a lot, if you've watched much in, in politics, uh, a lot of the arguments that people had about rushing to reopen um, the pan, uh, the states after the pandemic was, you know, like, we're going to destroy people's motivation to work if we just keep giving them money, mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, maybe there's some truth to that, you know, maybe, maybe a society has to have um, some pressures to keep it orderly, you know, at least enough to where like an economy works. But I don't think it's inherently true. I just think we haven't figured out ways to, to organize and to motivate um, with without being assholes, you know. Yeah. Um, but, but I don't think it's impossible to, to incrementally make progress. But, you know, I think that's where a lot of the, the, the woke discussion focuses on is like, is the foundation sufficient to incrementally build on or do we have to like really do some serious changes? That... Well, the woke, the woke people are frustrating because they aren't willing to hear the other side either. Right. Yeah. They, they, they typically well, it's, will dig their feet in the sand and it's like, hey. It's a I, myopia just like the people who grew up in the country. And, yeah. And, it's just, I. You gotta. Agree, you gotta. I agree a little more with the woke people than I do with most of the country. You folks, gotta. So. You gotta be willing to 
hear other options though. You can't just say, this is how it is and I'm right and this is the best. Yeah. No one's gonna be receptive to that. No, no, and that's not politics. You know, that's violence. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's that's the whole point. Like, if you don't have politics and you don't have, if you, have, if you live in a society where politics has kept the order and then you take the politics away and you don't have some sort of authoritarian uh, figure, then people are going to fight it out. Yeah. You know, and so we have to, that, that's why I was saying like, you know, it's not that I think that um, like the Trumpist or Trumpism, any of that stuff, like that stuff is so, I mean, I remember the the first Republican debate in 2016 when, when Donald Trump came out on the stage and I laughed and laughed. I thought it was great. I thought it was so hilarious because I was like, this guy is a clown. Like nobody, I was just like, he's just observably unintelligent. You know, he, he's not a good communicator. He has, he only speaks in incredibly simple. I mean, like, and honestly, I, I don't know if dude's crazy like a fox or, or not. If it's, it might've just been uh, a perfect storm of conditions, but like, it's possible that he, he sort of keeps it simple, uh, because he knows how to be effective in, in crowds. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but I couldn't believe that that was being taken seriously. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> no one could. It seemed impossible. But having grown up in a place where, like one of the reasons I left Arkansas when I was 13 is because I was embarrassed. You know, um, we, we had television as the Oracle, just like everybody else. We had Hollywood as the Oracle, you know, that's the center, that was the center of culture, you know, like television, movies. And growing up in the South, I was never, uh, there was never any representation other than negative. Yeah. You know, and I think that Donald Trump was one of the first people to speak directly to the, the folks who so uh, obviously liked what he had to say, mm -hmm. you know, they'd been sort of well forgotten, you know, and, and, and he, economic anxiety was like a big, uh, hot topic around that. And I think people debated it a lot, whether, whether that was what, what was really going on and like economic anxiety doesn't really explain all of it. But at the same time, you know, like the little town that my family was from used to have factories. Um, that was decades ago. You know, yeah, just and, like Detroit. Yeah. It used to be like a thriving economy. You could, yeah. you could graduate high school, you could get a job in a factory, yeah. make a very good living, take care of your, your wife and your kids, buy a house, have a couple cars. That was a, that's the su supposed mm -hmm. American dream of like the fifties mm -hmm. and sixties that a lot of these people are like trying to get back to, but mm -hmm. that doesn't exist anymore. No. And I mean, that only existed because every other Western country was destroyed and all the other countries had, well, I mean, there were some fairly well-developed Asian countries at the time, but I mean, like there weren't too many non-destroyed developed countries in 1950. Yeah. USA pretty much had that. Uh, we had a, a really crazy advantage that, that'll hopefully never come back because that would mean that everything else besides us had, has been destroyed again. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, like... It's pretty easy for a lot of folks to say, um, wow, all those environmental regulations came in and then like now the factory couldn't operate here anymore because it can't actually 
do what it was doing profitably without polluting the area. And so, I mean, that's probably not true. It's probably more likely uh, something to do with trade trade deals and, and like making uh, stuff cheaper in other countries. But I mean, the narrative is pretty easy to sell, you know, and, and like even stuff like um, diesel trucks, you know, like a lot of people out in the country like diesel trucks. And when the EPA comes in and starts changing the regulations on how those uh, emission systems should work, and it makes those trucks not work so well and makes them break down and makes them harder to or, or to keep up and makes them more expensive to run, you know, they, they don't see it as like a thing that's benefiting anybody. They see it as a thing that's like, okay, well, I need to pull cows <laughs> in my truck and this does it the best job. And now you've come in and like screwed it up and, you know, like it's great, but I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't, I mean, like having those kind of emission controls, I think are important, but it doesn't even come close to making up for the emissions that the agricultural industry is putting out. Like if you're, if you're looking at what like the meat industry puts out, it's, I mean, I don't know exactly how much more. I imagine orders of magnitude more than what what people's pickup trucks are doing. You yeah, know? no, that's a disappointing part is they try to individualize it and put the pressure on people when you and I are really incapable of changing what's happening. Mm -hmm. There are a number of corporations and I was listening to a podcast the other day that was talking about the U.S. military. Mm -hmm. The U.S. military in oh, yeah. insane amount of pollution. Yeah. Uh, I forget what the percentage of the world. They're the carbon emissions. They're the largest single emitter. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And nobody talks about that. Yeah. It's it's like, uh, yeah, make sure you recycle. Make sure you buy yeah. your hybrid. And yeah. that's cool. That's important. Yeah, but that doesn't that we're not going to change that. Yeah. Well, and like I once heard, uh, this is not a thing that you hear very often, but I heard a, a conservative pundit with a, a reasonable candor about their view on, on climate change. And and basically what they said was that, look, if the United States were to scale everything back to zero, we'd still be screwed because <laughs> India and China is yeah, just getting right? started. Yeah. You know, and that's not a reason to say, you know, who cares? Yeah. Um, but when it comes down, like I can see why, you know, if, if you're telling me that, like, okay, you're going to put in these things that are basically symbolic to you, but to me, they're affecting my bottom line, um, I could see why people would be not into it. Yeah. You know? But, I mean, that doesn't mean that we – a lot of times people say, oh, well, okay, okay, I guess there's – you know, that's all screwed up. You know, like, we can't do anything about it. And, and I – I don't know. I really like talking to people who I disagree with because yeah. uh, I keep hoping that maybe they'll make – they'll allow me to make sense of, of the views that I don't get. Yeah. Or possibly – and I don't hold as much likelihood of this, but possibly I might influence somebody to, to kind of open their mind a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know what it is that, that makes that so difficult to do. Um, I mean – and honestly, I – I'm probably more closed-minded than I'd like to think I am. I kind of see myself as an open-minded person. Mm -hmm. um, but I bet you there's some things you could challenge me on that I'd... <laughs> that makes you open-minded, though, that you'll admit it. 
You know what I mean? Right. That's a good step. To well, I see it as say, a, a virtue. How virtuous am I? I don't know. You know, um, but I, I think that's a good goal. Like, I would like to think that if I were given reasonable ev- evidence of something that I really think is true being not true. Uh, like flat earth. Yeah. Like, let's say someone, let's, I mean, if, if um, NASA, if NASA was like, you guys, <laughs> we fucked up. <laughs> this, I know this is hard to believe, but here's the, here's the data. We've got all these LIDAR maps, whatever. Like, uh, I mean, that's a pretty extreme example, you yeah. know, but I mean, I think that belief is when you stop thinking about stuff. You yeah. know? I mean, I think we should continue thinking because there's where we're at and then there's where we could be. And, 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 and that's why I think progressivism, I think it's a terrible word because it means something different to almost everyone, I think. Yeah. What does it mean to be progressive? But I just think that like, if we can do better, we should do better. Yeah. You know, if we can, if we can like improve things, then that should be the goal. You know? Not, yeah. When, when you started talking about it a minute ago, I was thinking of like the industrial revolution. Mm-hmm. Like what if, what if we just stopped trying before they figured out electricity? And everybody just lived mm. the way that they lived around 1880. Well, if they if they had, when did we uh, get penicillin? I thought it was, <laughs> was in it before the 1900s, that? but okay. maybe not. Well, I mean, I would be down. I would be really interested in that kind of life as long as there was penicillin. <laughs> Dude, there was so much we didn't understand then. That was when they still thought. Uh, about the four humors. Oh, you mean you if know? we just and stopped trying about everything? Yeah, if they're just oh. like, oh, this is this is as good as it gets. You know, we're just going to hang out here. But the the thing is, that's what makes humans different mm-hmm. from every other uh, creature that exists. Is you you can't stop it, man. There's somebody that's always thinking of something, yeah. and they're going to try to make it happen. And oh, let's uh, let's fly to the moon. Cool. All right. Let's let's build a let's build a computer that has everything you could ever want to know in your pocket. Like, there's no end, dude. It just keeps going and going, and then we're going to kill ourselves. Yeah, it's like kind of like home brewing. You know, either the yeasts uh, pollute the the mixture enough that they die by making too much alcohol, or they eat all the sugar. Hmm. You know, and then that's the end. It's yeah. like once you hit the exponential growth phase, that's the outcome. Huh. You can't ex- exponentially grow uh, without falling apart. Unless, you know, and like you mentioned it earlier, some of the, in some places, the growth rate is slowing. And it's funny, you know, like once you get modern medicine and you realize that having eight kids isn't necessarily the best strategy for ensuring that you you have a family. Yeah. Um, people tend to only have a couple, you know, yeah. two or three maybe, you know. And I've seen some stuff that was saying we, so I think we're at like almost 8 billion people. Uh, I've seen a few things that suggest we might make it up to like 12, 13 billion at some point, but probably not much further just because mm, the abject poverty that's out there is actually being fairly rapidly improved upon. Hmm. And, And people, you know, like it's, as Americans, it's been a rough no matter what your political beliefs are, it's been a rough, um, you know, five five years mm-hmm. uh, because there's been a lot of strife, whether or not you think things were going good at one time or another, but it's been crazy. Uh, but there's other places in the world where, it, you know, they went from living on 75 cents a day to a uh, $1.60, which is still 
hard for us to understand, but I mean, you can see like the percentage increase, you know, like, like, yeah. like that's, that's a relief. Like the people are living better. They're, they're, they have better access to healthcare. They have like so going back to blockchain, you know, I think that's going to actually, I think that's going to probably be a big deal in Africa. You know, like there's no reason for people to build the old system in places in Africa that haven't been quite developed up to Western standards yet. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like they've, but they've got technology that didn't exist when the West was um, less developed. Yeah. You know, so like being able to use blockchain as a banking service, for instance, is something that a lot of people are working on because there's places in Africa where uh, people have, you know, some, I don't know if wealth is the right word, but they have assets, but it's difficult for them to uh, access the banking system. It's mm -hmm. difficult for them to access finance. Like, you know, they have to pay for cash with everything or they have to pay for everything with cash because there's nobody to give them a loan. Well, there's also insane bank fees. Do you know about El Salvador? Well, I know that they just they just Bitcoin adopted and, yeah. yeah, Bitcoin as, I don't know if it's the national currency or- It's legal tender. It's legal tender. But what that did- Mm -hmm. Is it allowed, because I want to say it's 25% of their GDP mm -hmm. is money coming in through the form of remittances. Mm -hmm. So, or maybe it's 25% of the people lit. God, I'm getting them all mixed up. But either way, there's a significant amount of money yeah. for El Salvadorian citizens that are working in the US mm -hmm. that are sending that money back to their relatives in El Salvador. And that money it, through the banking system is getting uh, charged uh, in one upward, way or another. Upwards of 10% probably. So what it did yeah. when they turned uh, Bitcoin into legal tender for the country, well, they uh, uh, speculated that Wells Fargo will lose $400 million. <laughs> Yeah. That's how much they were charging people to make money yeah. in the United States and send it back to their family. That's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. There's other cryptocurrencies that are more specifically designed around that purpose. And it'll be, I think they went with Bitcoin because it has likely a greater store of value than most because it's just, it's sort of the brand name. You know, I mean, people know it. It's most likely to it's, succeed. It's very relatively scarce. It, it's, it's one that like... Um, It'll probably be sort of like gold, but there's things like Stellar where there's it's much more environmentally friendly. They don't mine. They're not sitting there running computers to make it work. I mean, they are running computers, but they're not doing a, a proof of work algorithm. Mm -hmm. um, and it costs like you could send a billion dollars to somebody, and it would cost um, a tenth of a penny. Yeah, and, and it's it in takes a fraction like, of a second. Yeah, well, it's a little, it's a few seconds. Yeah, for that one, uh, Bitcoin when the network picks up can be. Uh, much more expensive to to move money around and it's slower. But um, what I was reading, uh, El Salvador actually is got a kind of, they have a national crypto wallet that has uh, the Lightning Network enabled and also Segwit. So they're actually, uh, and honestly, uh, that makes me think I, I should probably know more about what Segwit does, but I, I'm not terribly involved heard in of that. the Bitcoin. It's one of the, it's one of the adaptations they've made to the to the chain at some point that um you know like I haven't really followed Bitcoin as much because I've been more interested in some of the other ones uh, you know like Ethereum and Stellar but um from what I heard they had a pretty cutting edge uh, wallet design and 
it is not the it's not the national currency, but as legal tender, you have to accept it. Yeah. You know, so I mean, it's it's really interesting. It, it's much more a part of their system than I initially thought. Um, but something else that it that does is it allows countries like El Salvador, who don't really have a strong international currency, to remove themselves from other countries' monetary policies. Yeah, for sure. Because if I'm not mistaken, they were using U.S. dollars for mm -hmm. most of their transactions. Mm -hmm. But that means that they're stuck with whatever monetary policies we're enacting, and we can print, and we did last year, we printed something like 25% of the, the money that's in circulation last year. But since we're the originators of that, and a lot of other countries like to take on uh, US currency, they see it as, as, a, as a, a stable and good asset. Uh, we don't really experience a lot of the inflationary uh, issues. But if you're El Salvador, hmm. um, you don't get the same benefit as of, of, of printing it as you do if, if you're America, you know? So like a lot of these countries, also the Ukraine is, is, um, working with the stellar foundation and they're going to release a central bank digital currency on, well, it's speculated that it's going to be on the stellar blockchain, which would be interesting. Uh, they, they looked at maybe doing their own and then they found out that, um, it was really just kind of too much work. <laughs> to, to, to run your own chain when yeah. there's like this, and it, and it kind of defeats the purpose of having it be on this public chain. Totally. Um, but yeah, there's, it's looking like that kind of, that kind of stuff is getting much closer to being a reality. Yeah. You know? There's a lot of rich people that, and there's a lot of people in charge of banks that make this money off of transactions that don't want it to happen because then they don't have a, a, a part of it anymore and they can't, they can't uh, generate revenue well, and from they, it. But they're all investing in it, well, regardless they of what they say. They should be. Yeah. Because, <laughs> like, the thing is, is, you know about smart contracts? Mm -hmm. Smart contracts will allow you to, well, it's what it's what's behind the, De the DeFi craze, you know, De uh, decentralized finance. Mm -hmm. So you can, and, and this stuff is being kind of scrutinized right now by the SEC as possibly being securities. So I'm not sure what this what the status of some of those DeFi products is going to be moving forward, but basically you can write code that essentially does what people who work at banks do. They're they're being like you don't have to have someone who's there to verify the transactions yeah. if, if the transactions are on the blockchain and they're codified with smart contracts. Yeah. It's like under once these uh you know, situations, once these uh, certain uh, circumstances are met, then this is triggered. And the, you know, like um, you could do, one thing that I've thought would be pretty interesting is uh, doing escrow. Like, you know, you've dealt with an escrow company buying mm -hmm. a house. Yeah. You know, you could do that whole thing on a smart contract where you basically send your earnest money to the contract. And then when the financing all comes through, the bank can send that to the escrow account, and then you get essentially house coin. Yeah. <laughs> you get a non-fungible token that represents the deed of your home, mm -hmm. and it's all done in a day. And for probably, I forget how much you end up paying escrow companies, but I mean, you could do it. There's there's no labor involved. Yeah. It's kind of like what you're saying. Like it's automating out, like technology is going to automate a lot of these jobs out. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, you know, the question is, is what do we want to do? 
because it could we could say, well, you guys don't have a purpose anymore, or we could create a society where um, there's a lot of time to to think and to create and to start fights on Facebook, yeah, and Twitter, <laughs> which I've recently kind of found Twitter. Um, I guess I'm a little late, but I never really saw. I mean, I had Facebook, and I thought Facebook was stupid, and I thought, well, why do I want to have another platform where I can just think everything's stupid? Yeah. <laughs> but I realized recently that it's uh, it's actually a little more interesting. I don't know. Have you, you ever go on there? I really don't go on Twitter much, no. It, it's like, it's a place where instead of everybody's opinions being just the random people that you have in your life, it's more... It's more filtered by people who actually have something to say that's interesting enough that it gets sort of retweeted or or or, um, or, or perhaps uh, it's it's filtered in the in the sense that it's about a specific topic. But usually you go on Facebook and like you try and post something and then it's just everyone you know gets on there and gives their opinion and it's just it, most of it's uninformed uh, and like it's a cesspool, dude. Yeah, but Twitter. Although Twitter's a cesspool as well, uh, it's there's a little more focused info, and it almost feels like more of a game that you could sort of, um, it's not quite like Westworld, but like, <laughs> but you know, like there are obviously people who understand Twitter and have made it work to the point that they make money. Yeah, for sure. You know, like they they understand how to to put that like well crafted short little. Uh, you know, statement together and, and put it just in the right place in the conversation that people react to it. Mm -hmm. And the difference between the, those folks, I mean, I guess they're, they're, they're just more interesting, but like the difference between them and everybody else on there is not immediately clear. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's just like, there's some people have that thing, just like if it was art or music or some people are really good. It's a skill. At just, playing that Twitter game yeah. and they end up like being more influential than, um, than I ever would have thought. Yeah. It's pretty wild. You could be president. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Worked out for one guy. Yeah. Yeah, dude. All right. Well, we just hit the two hour mark. So oh, wow. I think, I think we're pretty good. Okay. Cool. So, well, it's been interesting. <laughs> it was a good talk, man. Yeah. Thanks for coming down. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah.